was a place I'd give the world to see Where the music softly playing And the rhythms gently swaying Underneath the stars in a million bars Guitars are softly saying Mexico this is Talk Sports Overnight to me, Jordan Jack Bryan, alongside Jed Mills here, taking you through until five in the morning. Right, that that track means it's only time for one thing. The main man, John Bonfilio, here to run up all things to do with South America and sport, and maybe some more. Good morning, John. Hey, Jordan. How are you? How's it going? Very well, my friend. Very well. That's the first time I've heard that track before. Talk me through who made that track and what's the history behind that track. Um, so actually it was the ITV, it was the soundtrack for the ITV coverage of the 1968 Olympics. Okay. Uh, in, in Mexico. So folk of a certain age in, you know, of, of your listeners will have heard it a lot, but I'd never heard it before, uh, before the, uh, the, the production team at Talk Sport with, uh, Martin and Jed and Mark. I think it was Mark that, that found it and brought it on. And it's been going for about a year and a half now as the, as the entry point. There's a really interesting, exciting entry point to then my, Slightly less interesting, exciting. Lies. Not uh, having it at all. Not having it. No, not long, having that at all. Long John Baldry. Uh, <laughs> in, in English, then, then Canadian. He moved to Canada and he recorded it. And it was one of his sort of, I guess, sleeper hits that, that became uh, much more successful after his, uh, after his time. But yeah, broadly known in the UK because of a niche Olympics in, in 68 and nothing else. Lovely. I love it. Listen, before we get to all things South America, I've never had a cup of coffee. I've, and I, until Saturday just gone, I never purchased or owned a pair of sunglasses. What's the thing that you've never had or never bought or never drunk or never seen that everyone else has? Wow. A thing I've never bought or never drunk or never had. eaten, film that everyone's seen that you've never seen, a place that everyone's been that you've never been, something that everyone has, has, has always had that you've never, you've never had. I mean, I'm not a sunglass wearer, so I've, I've, yeah, I've never had those. I, I, do okay. you know what is a weird thing? Is since being here, which is, I mean, maybe a strange oblique way of, um, of answering your question is I, I no longer wear shoes. Um, so for like okay. uh, about eight years now, I've not, I, I occasionally wear flip flops, but basically my, my shoe wearing, so I, I no longer, uh, exist in the world of the shoe-wearing public. <laughs> Shoes are a thing of the past for you. Brilliant. I love that. Um, let's talk all things now to do with the World Cup. And Chile have qualified for the the very first Rugby World Cup. Yeah, r- really, really interesting. Los Condores, the, the Condors, were playing off against uh, the USA last week. They, they lost 22-21, single point, when they had their home game in in Santiago, and then they went up to, to play the USA in Denver. The USA, you know, they're not one of the best rugby sides in, in the world, but they fairly regularly qualify for, for the World Cup. And the USA were 19 nil up going in towards the end of the first half and then managed to lose 31-29. So on aggregate, because these playoffs are uh, decided on aggregate, Chile managed to win or to get through by a single point cue uh, national mass celebration in Chile. Because, because, Rugby there, actually, even though they've not reached the World Cup, is actually a fairly big sport there and is made all the more important because they go straight into Pool D for next year's Rugby World Cup, in which England, Samoa, Japan and their neighbours, Argentina, are in the pool. So they're hoping to cause some damage with the Argentinians uh, there, there next year. But certainly has made you know big, big international rugby news and certainly big Chilean news there uh, as well. So on the other side of the Andes, celebrations continue. 
so what's the difference? What's, what's been the difference there? What's changed in, in, to, to, for them to have you know, reached their first World Cup? I think, broadly speaking, with the likes of rugby and cricket to an extent, the kind of the, the you know, where maybe 15, 20 years ago it was still very much a you know, colonial sport in certain countries, uh, there was maybe some expat um, playing or support or divestiture in certain countries like a, a, a Chile, say, or a, a Bangladesh, Afghanistan, and so on. But actually, in, in many cases, the organization and the support from the central governing bodies that took place about a generation ago are now beginning to, to pay off. So now, so what was, I mean, actually, I'm calling you from Mexico, and much the same is the case in Mexico. The Mexico, the Mexican rugby league now is professional, and it's, you know, it's definitely not an English premiership, but it, but it's, uh, but it's pretty darn good. And so, you know, standards across what might be regarded as being the second tier, third tier nations, have definitely improved over that period of time, and the, the aspirations of of a, of a rugby World Cup or a rugby, uh, you know, in, international playing nations has definitely spread to the point at which now uh, maybe the best teams in the world aren't that much better, but certainly uh, other teams that are following on their heels have certainly had the infrastructure and the support to then begin to catch up with with those, which can only be good for for rugby. A couple of weird, uh, bizarre stories here beyond sports, um, John. Um, the Brazilian pre- president has gathered foreign diplomats to brief them on the fact that the October general election is open to fraud, something which no one's having, no one's believing that, and sets up the Trump playbook, uh, it yeah. seems, for, for him to cry foul for when he loses uh, and calls in the army. Tell us more about that. Yeah, to- totally. And we're going to be hearing a lot more of this. As you say, it is very much, I mean, obviously we know about you know, the, the inquiries taking place uh, north of the border in terms of um, the, the, the Senate there and, you know, what took place on January the 6th and so on. And Bolsonaro, who's very much a big Trump ally there, uh, right-wing president, populist president, he's coming to the end of his tenure in, in October and he's lagging in double digits behind uh, Lula da Silva, who's likely to, more than likely to win that election. Actually, if you add up all the different candidates who are not going to come first and second, you know, there is no way that Bolsonaro is not going to, uh, is going to lose that. So is, is going to win that. So he knows that this is going to take place, right? So already he is beginning to accuse the electoral system and the process of being susceptible to voter and vote rigging. And in what was this week, a really surprising eventuality is he decided to move from domestic policy to international policy by bringing in all um, foreign diplomats into his into his into his abode, into his residence, and for an hour telling them in very unspecific terms, as you can imagine, how uh, the vote that was going to take place in, in October and the one that he was going to lose was actually going to be fraudulent. Cue everybody, including the U.S. Embassy, uh, you know, all other foreign diplomats, but also his own electoral court, the head of his own Senate, uh, and the head of his own Supreme Court, basically telling him that, you know, that he's talking nonsense. Most worrying of all is when he said the only thing that can secure the validity of the electoral system in Brazil is calling the military in. Bolsonaro is an ex-army captain. He still retains a lot of support amongst the military. And like really, really sadly and terrifyingly, we all know which way this is going to go. Right. He is going to lose and he is going to call into question the, uh, the, the, the validity of the election. And then he is going to call in the military uh, to, to step in. The big question is, will they do that or won't they? And as we've seen in America that, you know, when democracy collapses and presidents refuse 
to to leave office or you know severely question uh, results of elections. But you know we've, we've seen in America in the last year, you know what that can lead to, and and how presidents and, and leaders of countries can can really embolden um, uh, their, their their support base to do things that are just that are, that are illegal and 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 devastating. So um, I'm, yeah, I'm really really sad to hear that, that this is going in in that direction um, and, and another really bizarre story as well emerged this week and the Mexican president has brought up the Julian Assange extradition with Biden at their <laughs> really summit strange. last week what's, what's going on here yeah so you know you have a, you have a uh, a, a summit between uh, Joe Biden who is you know struggling in lots of different contexts so we know now he's now know he's got COVID as well and then Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador the, the Mexican president goes up to they have an uneasy, uneasy relationship but they had this this summit up there, and then you know the big things come up: they, the trade, because the U.S. is Mexico's biggest trade partner, and 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 vice versa, and so on. Of course, you know the border and and migration and the cartels and and drugs and so on. And then, really, really bizarrely, the Mexican president hands Biden this letter, which basically says you know, that Mexico is willing to offer Julian Assange. Um, Asylum, basically. I mean, he says, you know, in the letter it says that Assange did not commit any serious crime, did not cause anyone's death, did not violate any human rights, and was basically exercising his freedom. And so arresting him, basically, according to the, to the Mexican president, is a permanent affront to the freedom uh, of expression, which is really, really interesting and surprising. Uh, to, to students of Mexican history, it's not that surprising in the sense that Mexico really always has been independent and has sort of uh, seen itself as as a place where, I mean, most famously before the Second World War, it received loads of exiles from Europe and so on. But certainly nobody expected the, na- the name Julian Assange to be high up on the, you know, on the wall chart or the task list of the conversations between the Mexican president and the U.S. president this last week. Um, important to say, the letter has gone unanswered. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah very, very important to mention that at the end there. Um, very bizarre. Um, listen, John, cheers for your time, pal. All right, take care. Nice one, mate. John Bonfilio there going through some of the biggest stories happening on the continent of South America.